Hey everyone, and welcome to Brave Conversations. And today we have with us Helen Baker, and she is quite a unique person. I find her very insightful, very intuitive, and um, quite unique in what she does. So Helen is a visual marketer and designer who works on websites, campaigns, branding, social media, visual content with a human-centered focus. She works with clients who want to connect their message to the emotional needs of the market. So you see a lot of branding expert designers, but you know they're always just concerned about flashy designs, colors, and everything. But with Helen, um, she has a background in anthropology and human-centered design. So she understands how to create a message that touches the hearts of the people you want to reach out to and engage your audience. And she has her own campaign to prevent cervical cancer, which has been very successful and uh, has been featured on BBC uh, because it uses craftivism. I mean, this is like the first time I've ever heard of craftivism. Thanks to Helen, I know what it is now, but it influences people to change in a very creative way. So working with Helen, clients can optimize their time and resources on creating a message that touches the hearts of their audience. Uh, Brave Conversations is always about real people doing real things to create real change. And I find that this interview with Helen, I think hopefully will help us understand how to create real change through the right way and the human-centered approach to design and branding. So welcome to the show, Helen. Hi, Cynthia. <laughs> it's nice to have you here. And it's very interesting to see your side and um, you know how you use your skills to help people do their branding. When you look at branding and how it's done today, what do you think can be improved? Um. <sighs> A few different things. Um, lots of businesses tend to focus on what they do and what they can bring to the customer. But really, I think the focus should be on how the customers are feeling. Um, I think businesses should constantly be researching what their audience are thinking, what their audience are feeling, and really using feedback as a kind of secret source to get into the hearts and minds of their audience to work out how they can you know, improve their business, how they can improve what they're offering, um, how they can innovate. It's, it's all about problem solving. And um, human-centered design provides um, a creative um, solution-based um, way of working for, for these businesses. Yeah. So when you approach a project, right? Um, there's something about you. Usually when I meet designers, they're all very flashy. They're very outgoing and everything. You're very quiet. <laughs> yeah. you know the only reason she's speaking now is because I'm asking her questions by the way <laughs> but she is very introverted um and for many people that could be seen like a weakness right I mean like oh you're not as flashy you know but what what is it that you do that how do you how do you intuitively understand a customer's needs and emotions how do you go about that research because you may not even come from that industry. So tell me what your process is. Uh, the number one rule is to listen, but to listen really well. Because often there are clues in all the, the touch points that you have with customers that can give you insights that can help you gain uh, that, that specific information. So one of the things I, I work on with businesses is to look at the feedback that they're getting with uh, from their customers, to look at the language that they're using because that gives real insights into how they're feeling a lot of people when they give uh, reviews or testimonials they'll use very emotive language and that is key I think for working out how your customers are feeling 
And I, I work with businesses to work out how their customers are feeling before they use their services or their products and the, then the transformation that that company brings to them and how they feel how they feel afterwards so it's really looking at the emotions both before and after and that and that journey of transformation that the that the customer goes on let's let's get it down to a more concrete level with an example you've done a very good job uh, with a cervical cancer campaign and as we know, with a lot of campaigns, there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of, um, you know, launching events and everything, but very few of them actually create change. And when we're talking about brave change, brave uh, leadership going forward, tell, me, tell us more about that cervical cancer campaign and how you use the emotive approach to get people to take real action. Can you just take us back to the basics? Because it's probably easier to have an example. Yeah, it's it's good to have an example. And and for me, it was when I heard in the, the media that rates for cervical screening or smear testing, as it's often known, were over at an all time low, basically over 20 years since the um, NHS screening program has been around. Um, attendance figures were at an all time low and and decreasing. And I thought there must be something in this. Why is this happening? And as um, a a human-centered designer, I'm always curious. I'm always digging for answers. Um, and I love the sort of what-if questions that, that design um, and, and problems bring up. So it's what-if. And, and here is where I think you can be really creative and think outside the box and just think, you know, what if I designed some sort of campaign that rather than addressing um, the, the women who are, who are attending by, by sort of scaremongering and saying this could happen and, and this many million women miss their appointments. It's more just tapping into how they're feeling emotionally. So I wanted to create an emotionally led campaign that reached the hearts of women or anyone with a, a cervix to, to make them act in some way that might change their mind, that might make them book their appointment, that could go on to potentially them saving their lives which is you know such a a worthwhile campaign to work on so I looked at the current um marketing materials that were out there and just felt that it was a lot of of telling off a kind of big finger you know wagging um telling off kind of perspective from a lot of medical um organizations but I wanted to come at it from a a human perspective and, and saying I understand how you feel you know these, these screens aren't a pleasant thing to go through to experience, but they're potentially life-saving and um, they, they prevent um, 75% of cases of cervical cancer from developing. You know, they're, they're key. They save 5,000 lives um, every year. So I just wanted the message to get out there in a very human-centred, emotionally aware and empathetic way. So I, after having looked at all the research, you know, I did my investigation, I did my digging, I, I interviewed women um, of, the, same, of the, the particular age demographic that I was looking at, and that was the 25 to 29-year-olds in particular, because um, the national figures are that one in four women are skipping appointments. That increases in, to one in three in women aged 25 to 29. So when I carried out my one-to-one interviews, um, I looked at women in that, in that age demographic and I asked them just questions. We had conversations, you know, over a cup of tea, just being human to human, 
you know, without being kind of scientific and sterile with a clipboard, it's just kind of me wanting to get inside their heads and their hearts, wanting to know why are they not attending appointments. And both my research and the research from Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust, that's the, the UK um, cervical cancer charity, both identified body image and body embarrassment as the key factors that are stopping women attending appointments. So, so all the... I, I, they don't want to make an appointment because they have to undress and they've got to do that and they don't want to do that in front of people. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, you know, it's getting, in front of, uh, getting undressed in front of a stranger. It's kind of being quite open and quite vulnerable in, in a sensitive area. It's, there's a lot of issues. And I think more and more that you know with the with social media and and with sort of fashion and things like that there's a very much there's a focus on the external body image um and we sort of forget about the importance of having internal body health um and so i just wanted to bring that kind of back up to the the forefront but in a sort of big sister approach a supportive big sister rather than you know coming from a, a perhaps a, a medical group that was trying to get um, women to attend yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? When you do, uh, well, I guess two schools of thought. People say that when you're trying to get a medical message out, get a doctor, yeah. white, white jacket, white lab coat, do that little finger wagging thing. Make sure he or she looks very serious, old preferably, with a stethoscope, <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. Um, but then you're saying that actually it doesn't work. That's scaremongering. Or maybe it does work for some people. For the majority of people, especially with women with the sensitive area, sensitive kinds of concerns, do a big sister approach. How did that work? And you, 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 how did you... So, okay, so what was the big sister approach? Uh, well, it, I first kind of got inspired by walking past um, a local, local beauty salon that had um, a sign hanging in the window saying, how's your lady garden looking? And it, I mean, it wanted to entice people in to come and have a wax or something, but I wanted to use the same kind of language. There's lots of um, ways in to talking about a sensitive subject, humour, through language. And I thought I wanted to use the same sort of approach that people felt comfortable with, people could have a bit of a, a joke with, but it actually addressed a very serious topic. So I decided to, to use that as a kind of impetus. That that language spoke to my target demographic who go into beauty salons, who use, you know, who have beauty treatments, who have hair removal. Um, but I wanted to kind of spin it and saying, rather than having to be beach ready, we, we're all smear ready. So that was the, the name of the campaign. We are all smear ready. And the kind of we aspect is like a sisterhood thing. You know, we're, we're all in it, it together. It doesn't matter how your lady garden looks. We are all smear ready. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. You know, we're all smear ready. It doesn't matter what your lady garden. That's, I think, a new word for me. <laughs> for some reason, though, I have images of a wheelbarrow. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's beside the point. That's, that's gardening. <laughs> that's gardening. Okay. Yeah. Um, you had, I, I was looking at your website. And then I saw pictures of things like uh, panties, like panties. You were decorating panties. I mean, where did that come from? And what, what was the point of, of doing that? Well, I create, being a kind of visual person, I wanted to create 
the campaign that, that translated online. And when I thought, where are my target demographic hanging out? Of course, they're hanging out on social media. So I wanted to, to translate everything I'd found out in the research uh-huh. into shareable, bite-sized, easy-to-digest content for social media. So I created a series of infographics and, you know, some of them used like the little embarrassed emoji symbol. You know, people could instantly understand that I was addressing embarrassment as one of the barriers through using the, the embarrassment emoji, um, things like that. And I, I created, you know, top tips for, um, for going to a cervical screening. So you can take a friend in with you. You can listen to your own music. You can ask for a smaller speculum. All these things that might actually make going to a cervical screening less scary, less intimidating, and a bit more kind of open to people thinking, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I've got some control over, over some elements of it. I'm trying to look it up. I'm trying to look it up. Your, I don't know if you've got the pictures of your, your little uh, paper panty craftism thing, but I thought it was, it was uh, great. I mean, you, you actually made... Uh, I've, got, I've got some to hand. I can. Yeah, you can, you can show us. I want I want people to see this because I think it's great. Um, yeah, yeah. So there you go. There Tiny you go. ones. Um, yeah. Girls so the reason boys. I the reason I've kind of got some of these um, flowers on the side there was to emphasise the lady garden and the the kind of pubic hair because that was one of the embarrassment issues that people had that they thought they might have to go for a a waxing before attending and to do all this kind of maintenance work whereas I was saying you can go as you are you're already ready to go you don't have to have that and actually a waxing is arguably more painful to experience than the actual smear test or cervical screening itself so I was just trying to kind of um, approach the subjects of, or the approach the issues and the barriers of, um, you know, having to be having to do all this work beforehand through the little pants. Um, and it was when I I read um, a book last year called How to Be a Craftivist by Sarah Corbett, um, and she set up the Craftivist Collective, um, and she's been running as a craftivist for ten years. That as soon as I read that book or started reading that book. I knew that in some way I wanted to involve craftivism. Um, and just to kind of set the scene of, of what craftivism is, it's using craft and activism as a way to get um, a message across in a very gentle but effective way. So um, it's about long-lasting change. So it's through a very strategic approach. It's not just kind of crafting for craft's sake. It's actually inviting people to get together to to craft something that takes time you can't rush these things I mean this pair is is hand stitched with the message on there can you, um, so, can you get closer get that closer to the video because I want people to see it look at that so it's got little lacy designs it's got little um I'm sorry if you're listening to this on a podcast you should really go into the website <laughs> and see this but it's really cute and these are what the participants are doing and I guess when they're making these, they're educating themselves as well that yeah. it's okay to have your garden unwaxed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? the, the, amount, the amount of conversations that I've had about people's intimate areas <laughs> is amazing. But people actually, when they're crafting, they're, they're, they're often so preoccupied with whatever they're crafting and they, they're concentrating on, on the task in hand that they're not making eye contact, which often breaks down the sort of walls of 
finding certain topics uncomfortable to talk about. So I found people opened up and shared very intimate stories with me, um, perhaps of, of experiences that they've had, you know, in the past, um, reasons or issues why they didn't want to attend cervical screening. And then, but actually through those conversations with other women in a very safe space, actually we talked about the importance of going and people were sharing stories of, um, like myself, who I've lost um, a friend to cervical cancer. And that was another reason that I wanted to start this campaign. I wanted to do something because, you know, two women die every day from cervical cancer, yet cervical screenings play a huge part in preventing these deaths. So I wanted to to educate people in a way, and I've, I've got a teaching background as well as my anthropology and design background. It's It's all these factors coming together and because of the type of person I am, I embrace being an, an introvert. I, I think it's our kind of super secret strength because we listen, we take things on board and we empathize. We step into someone else's shoes and think, how are they feeling? What, what are the problems that we're coming up against? And how can we create a solution that fits those needs? So I see it as a very kind of creative um, creative approach to problem solving that can be applied to to all different areas and I just applied it in this example to um, the cervical screening campaign. Well it's also because you have the passion for it and you see it as your cause and your friend's story actually probably amplifies that that passion in you and you know when we're talking about this um, topic it also applies to men because men are married to women uh, men have daughters and 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 this is uh, an interesting one because the more we understand how psychologically how women um, make these decisions for themselves the more I think also the men can be more supportive and the scaremongering approach I mean I can imagine for myself if I keep seeing commercials, scaremongering me, you know, finger wagging me into doing these things. It actually puts a lot of pressure, more additional pressure. Now I'm scared and embarrassed. I'm still not going to go, but now I've got scared um, added to it. So it actually causes a higher level of stress, whereas the big sister approach and the more uh, craftivism approach, making it, it's very interesting. You know, people say, you know, when you want to have deep conversations, make sure there's the eye to eye contact. But sometimes when it's an embarrassing situation, distracting them with things that they're doing, you know, making those yeah. little dance and, and, you know, I'm not really talking about it. It's kind of like I'm talking to myself about it, but other people yeah. are listening and there might be little giggles and anecdotes thrown into it. And, you know, we girls doing it together is just girls, you know, yeah. um, uh, actually I can imagine that could be quite comforting. Definitely. And actually, you know, doing something like these, these, craft you know getting together and, and using soft tactile fabrics is actually quite uh, it's, it's lovely to you know to, to feel it's very sensitive um, sensual in a way but also it's it's kind of that that collaborative that supportive feeling that that everyone's coming together but uh, and another important aspect of craftivism is is where these it's not just making these pants it's where they go from then so these pants were made primarily for National Cervical Screening Awareness Week, uh, which happens every week in June. And in doing my research, I found that that week wasn't being celebrated by or kind of talked about by anyone. So I kind of decided to take ownership of that and, and use craftivism as the tool for getting that week talked about. 
So when people had made these pants, um, during this, the cervical screening awareness week, people dropped their pants in public somewhere where they might be seen. So again, kind of get, following on from your point about, you know, men and other people supporting those women around them, whether that's colleagues, aunties, sisters, mums, whoever, it's about encouraging conversation. So these pants have found themselves, you know, after people have made them, they stuck a label on there as well, which I'm not sure. So there's a label that kind of gets stuck on there. So people might read this label. It says, we are all smear ready. It's a campaign to raise awareness of cervical screenings, encourage conversations and potentially save lives. Cervical screening rates are at an all time low, but are the best protection against cervical cancer. The NHS cervical screening programme saves an estimated 5,000 lives every year. And these pants are a reminder that it doesn't matter what your lady garden looks like. These nurses have seen every variety. And then at the bottom, it says these pants have been crafted with love by Helen. So there's a kind of name, there's, there's a personal touch to it. People know that someone called Helen has crafted these pants and then these would be stuck somewhere, perhaps on the back of a toilet door or a community notice board. Uh, I've seen them stuck on mannequins in a shop window. In um, They even, um, a pair made it onto the, the Eurostar on the way to Brussels. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, even a pair went to Senegal in Africa. Um, what I loved was that people in the craft community took this on as a project and kind of put their own stamp on things. So I had um, a chocolatier made some chocolate pants, um, a, a silk garment accessory maker made a, a tiny, gorgeous pair of 3D silk pants. Um, children have got involved with, with their mums and have done you know their own version coloured in. I've got templates on my website that people can can download and and kind of use in with fabric or with card or with paper, with whatever materials they've got to hand. Because this is also about being sustainable. It's not about buying new things for um, these sorts of projects. It's using up little scraps. They're only small. Using up little scraps of what you've got, um, but it's it then puts a very visual eye catching thing out into the world, and people are interested. They're curious. And so rather than a poster saying, you know, this many people missed their appointment last year or it cost the NHS this amount of money and missed appointments, a little pair of pants that you can see someone has spent time and energy and love creating with a little information label on it as well that kind of gives the context and, and why it's there and what it's, what it's designed for. You know, a pair of pants like that could spark a conversation between a couple of women in a public toilet um, or bathroom and just saying, have you had your smear test done recently? What, what was it like? Was it okay? You know, and you never know what conversations might come up. So I saw it as a, a sort of conversation starter when these pants are out in the wild. And then I was uh, that lovely kind of nature of, of people were seeing them and retweeting them and re resharing them. So it wasn't necessarily the same person that, that posted them. Other people then saw them in public um, and were reposting them, which was, was, which was what I hoped for. And it, it actually worked. Interesting. I, I, uh, when you were speaking, I was thinking, it's Father's Day. Father's Day is what, June? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Men, men are very good providers and they want to provide and they want to keep their families safe. And I wondered if that smear campaign could also be uh, attached to Father's Day and saying the best Father's Day gift is not chocolates or, or whatever, you know, for, for dads. But it's, a, it's the assurance that the women in their lives are safe. Yeah, exactly. 
it's actually getting the men on board with the craftism and maybe getting them to to make their version of uh, what what women yeah. are like and and getting on board with that because I think it's it's also important that it, it, cervical cancer is probably not something that men are aware of, you know. No. They, very touchy feely, you know. They may not even know that their women have been skipping them or are going to them. Yeah, yeah. you know, it just just to encourage conversation in in any kind of area around cervical screening or, or bodies or you know embarrassment, anything like that is is just so useful and helps to break down this myth uh, uh, that you know you have to have all this work done before you go and maintenance work and you know all this kind of terminology that that might just be putting putting women off and I think if if women have supportive networks around them then they're going to feel better about going um and just part of a sort of sisterhood that feels empowered um and one of the things I did um as part of the campaign um in in January it was cervical screening prevention week um and I wanted to do something to you know with the campaign during this week so I asked um, kind of followers of the campaign to suggest songs to make up playlists for people to to listen to when they're going to a smear test and so many different songs were suggested that I ended up coming up coming up with three different playlists one for relaxing music to listen to a smear test uh, one was funny songs to listen to when having a smear test there was some quite interesting uh, suggestions there. <laughs> and another one uh, was songs to feel empowered when having a smear test, because a lot of women said they felt empowered. They were, they were taking charge of their, their health and their, their lives um, by, by going to have a cervical screening. Interesting. Very interesting. Let's take this back to other types of campaigns, because you work with organizations with their campaigns and also on a small project with their branding and everything like that. How do you... What advice can you give organizations who may want to create more impact in, well, actually you can argue that any type of branding is a, is a campaign. Let's say you want, you're a nutrition product and you want people to unjunk their, their cabinets or to live healthier lives. That's a campaign. I mean, I think more people should look at what they're trying to sell as a campaign rather than a product. I don't know if you agree with that. I do, I do. Yeah, so taking it away from cervical cancer, what advice or methods do you think companies, normal companies can use um, to make their message sound more like a campaign and create real change rather than just, I'm here to sell a product? Um, this is where I think the focus should be on empathy um, and not just sort of coming up with like an avatar for their, their kind of ideal customer. It's actually getting into the, the feelings of those customers. So if you're a, a, a nutrition company, you know, what, what do your customers want to feel and how are they feeling at the moment? And how can you help them make that bridge from where they're currently feeling to where they want to feel? Um, and, and use emotive language. Use um, kind of examples that will make them feel the way they want to feel. And it's... It's really trying to um, interview and do that research of as many people as possible to, so you can look at the language, you can look at the colour scheme, you can look at the, the font types. You can actually, you know, every single bit of the, the kind of messaging that you're putting out there, it's doing its job. It's doing some part of the heavy lifting for you. So, you know, I think doing the research is, 
a key part of that, whether that's, you know, the, the kind of current climate that we're in um, for nutrition, you know, and what the focus is, whether that's sort of, you know, a, a veganism shift or whatever, you know, what's currently happening, happening in this climate and actually talking to individuals, not just sitting around a boardroom and guessing what your customers want. Um, there's a kind of example of, um, I know the founder of Spanx has the, the women's kind of, yes, uh, um, kind of Spanx is basically a rubbery thing that makes all women look slim and good before they put on a party dress. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a modern day corset sort of thing, exactly. but it, it holds everything. But very in. comfortable. Yeah, very comfortable. Um, and basically that was, um, Fat, that was designed by a woman who wanted some sort of underwear that uh, she was happy to wear underneath her white jeans and couldn't find anything that fit that bill. Then when she researched into it, she found that all women's underwear was designed by men and they, the, and they would just try it on a mannequin to see how it looked. They weren't actually you know, moving around in it. They weren't exercising. It's, it's how we wear things you know, that give you the insight and that feedback to what needs changing or what needs innovating, what could be improved. You know, it's that, it's that research, that level of testing um, that is sometimes missing because people are assuming they know what their customer wants because they've done perhaps an avatar of their ideal customer. Um, but it, it's testing it out in the real world. And, and one of the um, important points of human-centered design is when you come up with an idea to do this rapid prototyping, you know, you, you try and you, you come with your, what you think might be your solution and you test it as quickly as you can out into the real world, get feedback from whoever you're testing it on, ask the participants, get that immediate feedback, make changes, you know, reiterate, refine and test again and test again and test again. It's not kind of, here's my problem. This is what I think the solution is. Then that's done and kind of wash your hands of it. It's that, it's that evolution of innovation and feedback and actually involving the customer or the user the whole way through not just at the beginning when you think this is what my customer needs they have to be part of the process and I'm a firm believer in the kind of I know it's Google's number one principle but focus on the user and all else will follow and that's kind of key to human-centered design because if you can design whether it's a product or a service if it's got your customer at the heart of it and you can reach your customer through this kind of emotive language and an empathy-led approach, then it, it, the rest will follow. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. I mean, I, I, I'm getting a lot of insights from this, and I think a lot of people can, uh, can benefit from what you're saying. You know, first of all, it's really to understand and empathize with, with your customers. Yeah, and uh, what prevents companies from empathizing in your experience? I think some companies are scared of change, um, but the world is constantly changing out there and businesses have to be innovative and innovation can be scary. And things like um, empathy are sometimes hard. It's hard to find customers that, you're, that you want to actually sit down and talk with. But actually, most people are happy to do that. It's just people need to be get out of their desk chair and go and interview people. It, it takes so, you know, a certain level of effort. You can't always Google these things. Um, so it, it takes, yeah, it does take some energy. And a lot of this isn't, um, isn't measurable. So, you know, it's, and it, 
it's risk it feels sort of a bit scary and there's a certain element of risk to be innovative to put stuff out there to change it to to reiterate again and again when you want to sort of feel like here's my project or here's my solution to this problem and kind of create a, a project around it and everything's kind of listed and it's all it's all kind of tied up nicely often you know for 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 real creative problem solving solutions it's it's not one path to go on it's it's a slightly more uh creative haphazard journey um and i i would really like businesses to be a bit more open to embracing that way of working and and to talk to people more and get outside their companies get outside their offices and actually sit down with customers or you know get them on the phone and actually to talk to them and find out you know is there something we could be doing better because when when companies get it right their customers are ambassadors of them they can't help but share how amazing these companies are you know they'll share them on social media they'll share them with friends they're they're like a walking talking kind of advert for your business if you get it spot on but if you don't get it right again you know the flip side of that is that they will be all over social media saying how you know something didn't work and they were very frustrated by it and they won't be shopping from there again so you know you need to get your customers on board make them part of your business not just a sort of profile of of your ideal customer but it's actually understanding their emotions and and this kind of level of empathy that i think um you know can really bring out some some amazing benefits for companies uh i think they will have um they will be forced to do that with the covid-19 because mm-hmm. i think it's no longer about what the companies want to sell it's about what customers want to buy exactly so this this whole incident is going to force us into empathy because in as much as uh, online businesses has been doing wonderful and great but it also some of them have been doing marketing in a in a very bad way you know meaning that oh great we've got this button to click so everybody's just going to be a button everybody's just going to mm-hmm. be a number everybody's just going to be on its this email blast list and uh with automation uh, sometimes personalization and customization falls out the window you know and i think this this covid-19 is going to force us into being more personal and maybe even if we're not used to being personal with our clients maybe just getting someone like you to sit down and listen to them because sometimes uh when companies do it themselves they've got to have a behavioral change and a psychology change when it's sometimes easier for you to just like look we need an emphatic um <laughs> strategy manager to just do it and oh helen let's just do yeah. it because you you've got that empathy within you but how how do you think um the coronavirus is going to move companies into into this space um what do you think is going to happen because of this well i def- i i really hope there's a shift away from the focus of b2b b2c there's all that kind of terminology it's it's human to human you know that's what we need to focus on um rather than just thinking seeing your business as a category you know my business only sells to other businesses well actually businesses are made up of humans you know customers are humans actually it's the human element that we need to focus on here so how are feeling how are people's buying behaviors different in, in now compared to how they were before covid-19 you know people need to admit that things are changing and there is some instability but if they talk to people if they listen and look at what their customers are saying 
then they'll get insights into how their behavior is changing and the, the, the changes that they then need to make to, to adapt their business to go forward. So I, re I really hope that the, the emphasis is on humans here. I'm going to, I'm making a mental note right now and a physical note, H to H. Yeah. I think not B to C, not B to B, but H to H. H. because even B to B, it's still that purchasing person with a supplier person connecting yeah. together, isn't it? Yeah. And if we can just convert all this B to B, B to C to H to H, I think we'll, we'll get it right. And that means we need to be more human in our approach as well, including listening to people. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think, you know, so many businesses just say kind of, this is who I am. This is what I do. But actually, you know, what you're, you're designing your product or your, your service for people. So make it about people, make it accessible to people, make it, don't, don't kind of focus on what you do, focus on the benefits you bring to your customer and just make your company, you know, it's made up of humans. We're not robots. So we should be talking about our feelings, talking about how we feel, include that in our, in our messaging and our marketing. And then just kind of people will feel understood because ultimately we all just want to feel understood. We want Interesting. And I think, uh, yeah, when, you know, when I think of people being robotic and automation and, you know, going a little bit overboard with all that, I think it's also, from my perspective, is based on fear, fear of getting personal. Because when you get mm -hmm. personal, oh my gosh, I'm vulnerable. You might actually give me bad feedback. You might actually tell me stuff I don't want to know. And um, stepping into the brave zone on this area is also going into um, be brave enough to talk to people. Yeah. A lot of people who have been brought up and with the digitalization, with, you know, maybe the millennial generation, the, you know, whatever, I don't even know what alphabet we're on right now, maybe Y, maybe Z, you know, um, it's the, um, they are used to a lot of, you know, swiping around and even the older generations, like my generation, we're, we're finding it, oh, it's easy, isn't it, to just click a button, we don't have to talk to people, we'll just text them, we'll text them, you know, and email them, and that's actually coming, in my opinion, a lot of, from our own fears of connecting with people. And we'd rather be busy online yeah. rather than talking face to face. Uh, in my adventure coming, moving to the UK, I've actually tracked down, I've, I've spoken to over 70 people face to, uh, face, well, well, Zoom to Zoom or yeah. phone by phone, just to connect with them rather than having all these LinkedIn messages going all over yeah. the place. I've said one LinkedIn message, and then now I want to connect with you face to face and, uh, or Zoom to Zoom, which, is, uh, which, has been, which has been, in my opinion, more enriching than trying to blast people emails. Yeah. So I, 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 I love what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. And when you think of actually the language that um, we're all using, even in a digital way, you know, the, the use of emojis can actually say so much about how we're emotionally feeling in a message. And, you know, think about from, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we experience so many emotions throughout the day. Why aren't we putting that into our messaging and into our businesses and into our kind of into ourselves and acknowledging we do feel differently at different times. And oh, even that's just not professional, Helen. Professional people don't use emojis. We, <laughs> we use really long words with dashes in between. Yeah. <laughs> but I use emoji in my campaign and it's talking to people. It's, it's saying, yeah, look, you might feel embarrassed about this. Here's an embarrassment emoji. You understand that straight away because it's very visual. It's very clear to see. It's easy to, to understand. But, you know, even the fact that we have eyebrows 
this is slightly off topic kind of but you know eyebrows are there because they help us express our emotions yes that's their function we need them that's why zoom calls like this um you know are more we get more from them because we can see the feedback immediately from the other person's face from their reactions so you know emotions are such a big part of us and we just need to get that more into business and I think, you know, if this were the new norm, we don't know when this is going to end. Maybe this is the new norm. Maybe this is how we hold meetings in the near future, like years, months and years to come. Um, and there's no more limiting belief, in my opinion. Oh, you know, rapport has to be face to face. You have no choice. And I remember yeah. when I started doing online co- communication with my clients and in my, with my prospects, this was the days before Zoom calls. This was Ooh. literally just an audio call. And I started picking up mood and emotions through tone of voice, body yeah. language through tone of voice. You can get really good at it if you practice. Now with Zoom and everything, oh my God, body language. Yeah, no problem. You know, yeah. face calibration, it's, it's super easy. Yeah. And back then you can do it just with auditory. Um, it's, it's very interesting to speak to you and we need to wrap this up, but I, I really want to thank you for spending time with me. And, um, what you're saying, I think has, is quite revolutionary in how we do branding and marketing. Um, I like to end with three fun questions that I just ask randomly because I learned so much from them. Um, so just to wrap it up, what do you think is the purpose of your life, Helen? To make our world a better place to live in in some way um i'm passionate about social change um and i love to do that through empathy led marketing and design so that's my way to make the world a better place in in some way empathy led marketing and design mm-hmm. that's that's really cool and if you would change one thing if you could change one thing about your life past present or future what would you change i think i would have started my entrepreneurial journey earlier than I did Uh, I had a decade as a primary school teacher which I loved aspects of but I've loved my entrepreneurial journey even more because I've learned so much about myself Um, and I think I just wish I'd started that a little earlier I'd still like still to have been a teacher but maybe just not a decade of doing that well, yeah. Well, from our previous conversations, I think your your years as teaching uh, and the other things that you were doing actually prepared you very well for what you're doing now. Probably. Definitely prepared you for <laughs> homeschooling very well. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and the last one, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I'd like to be remembered for bringing empathy into business. Wow. So, yeah, empathy-led <laughs> marketing and design. Very good. Thank you for teaching us about crafticism, um, empathy-led marketing and design. And thank you for bringing the H2H, human-to-human approach to to everything that we do as a business. So again, Helen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I wish you all the best in what you do. Thanks for having me. All right. Enjoy the next episode of Brave Conversations at the Brave Zone. But for now, um, thank you for joining us. See you next time.